Well, uh, we'll be turning in the scriptures to Colossians chapter 4 this morning to consider from the Lord's Word this passage from Colossians, from the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the church in Colossae, but also for the church throughout the ages. So I invite you to open your copy of Scripture to chapter 4 of Colossians, verses 2 through 6. We'll be considering uh, the Lord's Word this morning. Before I read from the Holy Scripture, let me go ahead and pray and ask the Lord uh, to bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we delight in you and we thank you that we could gather corporately this Lord's Day, this Sunday morning. And that we can gather in your presence, worshiping you, our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have gathered together a people for yourself, not only here in Tucson, but in locations throughout the world today. And that many people are being gathered into Christ's church and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would please enlighten us, uh, please teach our hearts and our minds, and, and change our lives, Lord, by the reading and the preaching of your word. We pray that it would be truth, and that you would be glorified, and that Christ would be lifted up. Please give me the words to preach from this text, and we pray for our hearts that we might adore and love and worship our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read um, from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, right now we're living in a critical battle. A critical battle, a critical time is being waged uh, for the souls of men, women, and children throughout the world in all places. Uh, The stakes are high, and we must be watchful, knowing that the time is short. People's eternal destiny is on the line. Uh, Jesus said that broad is the way uh, of destruction, and many that, that go that way. And narrow is the way of eternal life, and few that find it. Uh, brothers and sisters, there's men, women, and children in countries and places in the world, uh, many places, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And great, in fact, the great majority of the 7.7 billion people on planet Earth do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is busy uh, redeeming a people for himself, bringing together a possession for his his own possession. And the gospel is going forth. And so uh, we um, find ourselves as the church of Christ being called uh, to be that light of the world, to bring the gospel uh, to every nation, every people, all the men, women, and children throughout the world. We also see ourselves living in a time of great uncertainty, of great upheaval, uh, as there has been throughout the ages. But we see even more, maybe seems more, at least to us, in our time. 
Uh, it seems like the world is, is spinning out of control in many ways. There's chaos, there's wars. Uh, we see uh, chaos in Turkey invading Syria a couple months ago or a month ago or what have you. Uh, we see uh, trafficking of women and children around the world. We see slavery. We see abortion on the rise. Uh, people uh, choosing to kill their own offspring, their own babies. Uh, we see our own, the hearts, the sins of our own hearts and lives, and even as Christians that we struggle with. Uh, the world seems to be uh, falling, you know, spinning out of control. But we can ask ourselves this question: What, what is the hope for us? As we look at the world, we see so many people going into an eternity without Christ. Uh, so many people lost and uh, separated from God and at enmity with God, as the Bible says. And we see the world is losing its, 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 uh, its basis in reality, uh, calling to, gender, uh, calling to uh, question the very notion of gender and things like that. Uh, what do we put our hope in in our world today? Will it be politics? Will it be... Uh, saving the environment, uh, will it be uh, our, our own families or our work or what have you? Uh, all of these things are good and right in their own place. Uh, as Christians, we're called to be involved in politics. We're called to be uh, in the world and not of it. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be involved in, uh, in helping to be good stewards of our environment and of the world today. But what we find from the Bible is that the only hope for the world uh, the, most basic hope, the most basic hope, the most profound hope, is the gospel and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's the message that we as the church bring to the world. And as Christians, we go out and serve as salt and light. <clears throat> but we bring that message of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go. And so the advancement of the gospel is, uh, is an imperative for us today that the gospel of Jesus Christ would, would go forth to the nations. Uh, so, but for us as Christians, isn't it true that so often uh, we don't have a passion for the lost? Uh, sometimes we're just involved in our own lives. Uh, naturally, we would be involved in our own lives. Uh, but God calls us to look outside of ourselves, to look to the world around us, to look to our neighbor who doesn't know Christ, to look to our coworker uh, who has rejected the gospel, who is indeed uh, at enmity with God and may very well hate God. Uh, maybe it's another person that comes across as religious but uh, just doesn't really understand the Bible and doesn't really have that reconciliation with God, but they're religious. God wants us to look around us. Uh, maybe we don't have a passion. Maybe we're disobedient. <clears throat> maybe we struggle uh, because of fear, the fear of man, because we don't want to open our mouths and share the message. Uh, we don't take time out of our busy, busy schedules to pray <clears throat> for people around us. Uh, but I think that this passage from the Apostle Paul's hand uh, in this passage in Colossians will give us that encouragement. It'll give us some guidance. It'll give us some encouragement and some uh, definite guidance in this issue. And namely, in two ways. In the text today, we see that there are actually two commands uh, in, the, in the text. One is not found in verse 2. The other is found in verse 5. So the first command is to continue steadfastly in prayer. <clears throat> the second command is to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And so we'll see that those two commands today have to do with two things. One is prayer, and secondly is with our speech. With our speech. And we'll see how that plays out in the passage here. And you'll see what I mean. But let's take up prayer first. So the Apostle Paul says here, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, brothers and sisters. Continue steadfastly in prayer. 
We know that the imperatives or the commands of Scripture flow out of the indicatives, those things which are true of us in Christ, those things which God has declared uh, about us, that we, we have our home in heaven, we are been, we've been reconciled with God, we are united to Christ, our sins have been forgiven, we've been released from the guilt and the pollution of sin and the slavery of sin. Uh, we have a Savior from heaven who's come and has given us His righteousness in Christ that we have as a gift, a free gift given to us simply by faith, uh, not as works that we've earned. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ has given us the gospel, and that's the gospel that we take with us and the advancement of the gospel. That gospel has to do with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the most important, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is the most important. So whatever we talk about his work, whatever we talk about the benefits that he's given us, we must not forget one thing, that Jesus himself is our Savior. He's the second person of the Trinity, uh, God in the flesh who's come to save us, and he's the one that we're united to by faith. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we love and that we worship and adore. <clears throat> but that being said, uh, we also have that message of the hope that we have in, in Christ and what he's done for us. Uh, he lived according to God's law perfectly. Uh, he is the one that came. If you look back in Colossians 1, for instance, in verse 15, you'll see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So you get the sense that Jesus is the great, uh, the great preeminent one in all of the galaxy, in all of the universe, in all of the world, in the in, things invisible and visible, in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Those things that we understand, those things that we do not understand. And it says here in verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, or his cross. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. And that's the great hope, the great message, the great indicative uh, the wonderful news, the, the gospel, the proclamation of good news that we have for the world. And when the Apostle Paul says, turning back to uh, chapter 4 again, when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, we need to remember uh, in this context, I think that he's talking about praying specifically uh, for an open door for the gospel. So for look with me in verse 3, he says, uh, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the gospel. And so we should be praying specifically for that. Uh, as Christians, we know that certainly Paul has in mind also here that we should be praying in all things. We should be praying as Christians quite naturally uh, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, congregation, for our pastor, Pastor Steve, his wife, family. Uh, we should be praying for our neighbors and for our coworkers and for our own children and for our own relatives. We should be praying for the lost who do not know Christ, that they would come to know Christ. But we should also be praying for an open door for the gospel. The Apostle Paul himself was asking that very thing from the Colossians themselves. Please pray for an open door for the gospel, that it would go forth. Brothers and sisters, if, um, if the godly do not continue in steadfast prayer, how will the, the, the gospel advance? If we as the godly are not praying for our uh, lost uh, neighbors around us, how will they come to know the Lord? Unless we intervene and intercede on their behalf to a sovereign God 
who is able to bring uh, men, women, and children from spiritual death to spiritual life, how will they come to know Jesus Christ? Isn't it true that probably for every one of us here, somebody prayed for us to come to know Christ? At some point, maybe it was your grandmother. My grandmother prayed for me. My great-grandmother prayed for me. I was raised Catholic uh, in, in a pretty much pagan family. We are Catholic, but we were pretty much pagan. Um, didn't come to know Christ until I was 17. But uh, my grandmother prayed for me for all those years until I was 17. And then the youth pastor, when I started visiting youth, youth group, he said, we've been praying for you, Ray. We've been praying for you that you'll come to know Christ. And I did. I came to know Christ through the preaching of the gospel of John at youth group. So it's a real plug for youth group. You know, if you're going to have a youth group, preach through the gospel of John or something like that. Um, but the Lord uses that, the preaching of his word. But he uses prayer. And here we see prayer. And so as Christians, we should be steadfast. We should keep on keeping on and, and not give up. We should be persistent. And it says, what kind of prayer will we do? Uh, the kind that's watchful. He says, be steadfast, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful of it, in it with thanksgiving. And when I think of this word watchful, uh, we automatically think about uh, the Old Testament notion of uh, the watchman. You remember in the Old Testament that we talk about the watchman who's on the tower in these ancient cities, and they would be on the tower looking out for enemies, or perhaps for spies coming uh, over the horizon or over the mountain, the mountain uh, looking for people to attack their city. And his job was to watch day and night. They took different shifts, obviously, but he, he was not to sleep. Uh, today, if you're in the military, if you fall asleep in the duty, I think there's, there's great... Uh, I don't know if there's still the death penalty, but I, I know that it used to be that way. You would be killed and executed for that because you're putting the lives of people in, in, in danger. And so in our prayers, we should be watchful. We should be like uh, those who are on the watchtower looking out. This reminds me of the story of Pearl Harbor. Uh, remember, uh, as I read stories about Pearl Harbor, it's just maddening how, like, I wish I could go back and warn them, like, Look, you know, look on the radar. Look, the, uh, the Japanese are coming. They're sending a fleet here to attack you. Instead, we have men that were sleeping on the ships. They weren't as watchful as we would hope they would have been. I'm not laying any, any blame or anything, but I'm just saying, wouldn't it be nice if they would have been even more watchful than they had been? And hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think for the church today, we need to take heed from the Apostle Paul here in Scripture, and we need to be watchful in our prayer, uh, continuing to pray watchfully. And we should also pray with thanksgiving. We should pray with thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul, it's amazing, in chapter 3, the end, towards kind of the middle, he mentions being thankful over and over again. In verse uh, 15, he says, and be thankful. Um, he talks about teaching and admonishing one another with, uh, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, to the uh, um, uh, to God the Father, through Him, through Jesus. So again, we're coming through Jesus, giving thanks. So as we are to be watchful, as we're praying, we are to be constantly aware of all of the goodness of Christ in our lives. So remember what God did for you when He saved you? Maybe you grew up in the church and you, over, you can't remember a day that you didn't know Christ. But be thankful that God placed you in the Christian family, that covenant family that could... Uh, raise you in, this, in the spiritual nourishment and admonition of the Lord. Uh, if you're like me, came to Christ later on when you were 17 or maybe even later in life, just be grateful to the Lord that he saved you. I don't know how, I, how often I look back to that. And when I begin to doubt, when I begin to think, Lord, am, I'm so sinful, am I really saved? Or, Lord, am, are you even real in my life? I look back and I think, wow, God made that dramatic difference in my life. 
And Jesus rose from the dead, and I look back in history, and I look at the Word of God and the objective truths of the Word of God, and I'm encouraged. So we ought to be encouraged, and that ought to give us thanksgiving in our lives, even as we pray. So it's, it's funny how the, Lord, or how the Apostle Paul was always just breaking forward with thank, thanksgiving as he prayed. He says, to all, many of his epistles, says, we're praying for you with thanksgiving. We're just, we just thank God for you all the time, for your faith and for this and that. So we, we should be thanking God that uh, he's given us the opportunity to pray for the lost. Thank God that he's giving open doors for the gospel. Thank God that there's an opportunity for a place for an open door, even if it's closed right now. Do not give up, but pray for those open doors. Pray for those open doors uh, in specific places and for specific people. The Apostle Paul, uh, we already read that he asked for uh, an open door here in chapter 4 to declare the mystery of Christ. Uh, Can you think of a specific person in your life that you could be praying for, that God would open a door for the gospel? Maybe it's a, uh, a classmate for young people. Uh, maybe it's somebody that's a neighbor um, for, for those of you who, who live near neighbors, which is probably all of us. Uh, maybe it's a coworker who is just adamantly opposed to the truth of the gospel. Uh, one time I had a coworker when I worked for a computer distribution company, and I was sharing about the gospel a little bit, and he just got really frustrated, and he said, don't. You, you never talk about religion and politics at work. You're never supposed to do that. But as Christians, we're to talk about Jesus everywhere we go. And so, yeah, we do it with gentleness, respect, and so forth, as we'll see. But, uh, but that's an me- important message. And we pray for an open door for the gospel because perhaps some of those people will come to a point in their lives where they will know that you're godly, and they'll know that uh, you're praying, and they'll know that you're a Christian. And maybe they'll have a trial in their life. Or maybe, uh, or maybe the Holy Spirit will be at work and create an interest in the gospel. That he'll give you that open door. Uh, maybe they'll come to you and you'll be able to share the gospel. We think of the Philippian jailer. Not, we don't always find Philippian jailer situations where you'll remember in the book of Acts, uh, there was a great earthquake and, and Paul and the others were, were imprisoned. And all the doors opened and the jailer was going to harm himself. And Paul said, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And he got down on his knees and said, tell me what I must do to be saved. We don't always find that. But if we pray and we believe in a sovereign God, we believe that he can do that. So maybe he will do that for us, for you in the situations where you find yourself. And so we see that we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, with watchfulness, with thanksgiving, praying in specific, for specific people and specific places to declare the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel that we've been talking about here, the person and the work of Christ. Asking for uh, boldness to share the gospel seems like the Apostle Paul may have had struggled with boldness at times. Uh, I don't wonder why, because I know that he was beaten several times, and he was stoned and left for dead one time, and he was always on the, under the constant threat of death and threats. He had to escape outside of the city one time over the wall. And so you and I might not face that kind of persecution, but we may, f- we may face getting fired from a job. I knew a Campus Crusade staff member that was at Stanford, and shared and spoke up about the truth, what the Bible says about the teachings about homosexuality, for instance. And uh, he was kicked off the campus and, uh, by the Stanford University. And so uh, things like that. If you t- talk about how Jesus is the only way, that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one shall come to him but through the Father. Uh, that's a way to make people angry. Uh, when I was in Kazakhstan... Uh, in, in Central Asia, when I was in um, college, I went there for a short-term missionary journey. And uh, we met some people who worked for the U.S. Embassy. 
really uh, educated elites that went to the, like, some of the uh, highest Ivy League schools in New York or wherever, the East Coast. And uh, they were talking to us. We ran into the park, and they were just aghast that we would be sharing with these Muslim people uh, about Christ because they're like, these people have their own religion, they said. They were very angry at us. Uh, whereas the people who were the Muslims, they were actually happy to meet us, and they were happy to hear about Christ, and not all of them converted, but uh, it was just a striking difference. And you'll find people like that in, 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 around you in your circles. And more and more uh, so in this day of secularism. Um, Uruguay, where we've ministered the last four years, is the most secular place in all of Latin America, indeed in all of the Americas. And we found a lot of opposition to hearing and uh, penetration of the gospel in people's hearts. Many people say, yes, I respect religion. You know, more power to you. It's all relative. That's cool. That's cool, man. You know, um, you know, that kind of mentality. But they would not receive the truth of the gospel. And for that, my brothers and sisters, we have to pray. If we did not believe in the sovereignty of God and the power of prayer, we would have no hope of, of converting people. Only God can do that. And so the Lord wants to encourage us to continue to pray. And, uh, but secondly, he also wants us to open our mouths. And so we want to say something about speech here in the second part of this passage. And uh, the reason I say that is because even though he says walk in wisdom towards outsiders, uh, and walk in the Bible typically has to do with our behavior. And I think certainly it does here as well. We need to be adorning the gospel. We need to be living upright and godly lives in this present age. And being a witness, being salt and light in the culture, and in our and, and around our neighbors, but we look at this passage and it's all about speech. Notice that in the beginning passage, parts of the passage, Paul says um, uh, there's a lot of language of discourse or speech. He says, "Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, uh, that it may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak." And then later on, he says in verse six, "Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." Okay. So there's all this terminology having to do with our speech. So that's why I, I say that God has, he has something to say about our speech, about opening our mouths uh, for the gospel. And we see that in the context, it's opening our mouths with, with an eye to an open door for the advancement of the gospel to all of those all over the world around us. And he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, uh, towards the outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those are the people who do not know Christ. Those uh, people who have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes clear again and again that uh, in the biblical worldview, there are only two people, two types of people. There's light and there's darkness. There's God's covenant and there's outside of God's covenant. There's the righteous or the just and the wicked or the damned. There's the redeemed and the damned. We see all these categories uh, throughout Scripture. And uh, what it's really saying is that uh, in Romans chapter 5, it says that we're all uh, born in sin, that we're all uh, under Adam, our federal head, that Adam is our representative. He sinned, and in him, the whole race fell into sin. And we were condemned for that sin of Adam, and also for our own sins that we were born with, and that we began to practice as we uh, grew up. But when Christ comes, and we put our faith in Christ, we're united by virtue, power of the Holy Spirit to Christ. And we're cleansed and we receive the righteousness of Christ. And it's as though we never sin because when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. But also that sin that we did is taken care of at the cross. Christ is our substitute. He died in our place and he 
that our sins were nailed to the cross at Calvary. And we are no longer in danger of suffering the penalty for those sins. In fact, now we find ourselves having transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now we belong to Christ. It says the Bible in Romans 6 that we were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. That we now fall under the federal headship of Christ. That he's our federal head. He's our representative. So there's two types of people. And uh, Pastor Joel Beakey, uh, with whom I'm taking a class right now online, said that uh, there was a Puritan that said that uh, there, there was a, an analogy that he gave as though like uh, all people in the world are as if they were hanging on the belt of a giant. Imagine a big belt, a big giant. And on one strap of his belt, he has hanging a line of people. And those are the people in Adam. And all the other people are in Christ. So there's two, there's two different kinds of people. And so uh, the question for us is which, which domain are we, do we find ourselves in? Uh, have you put your faith in Christ? Uh, I imagine the most grand majority of us are Christians here today. But one of the questions we need to ask is, are we Christian? Have we put our faith in Christ? Have we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive us of our sins? Have we repented from our sins and set them aside, endeavoring to live for Christ, but depending upon him and realizing that we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone? And the other thing we need to ask ourselves is, are we opening our mouths and sharing this message with other people? Are we taking advantage of those open doors, as it were, in our lives? Are we praying, but are we, are we actually opening our mouths? And that's what he says, may, uh, act towards wisdom, making the best use of time. You'll know that every one of us is going to die, and we don't know when it's going to happen. We also know that Christ could come any day. We don't know. He could come in a thousand years. He could come any day. There's not a lot of time to share the gospel with people who are marching through their lives as if everything were fine, not realizing that they're on the precipice of a great cliff uh, and re- ready to enter an eternity without Christ. The 7.7 billion men, women, and children on this planet, uh, many of whom do not know Christ. And so we need to be asking God for that wisdom and uh, taking advantage of those opportunities and looking around us and, and, and redeeming the time. <clears throat> and he says here, um, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So we should have gracious speech, which means for us, I think, uh, that we should be kind and loving and considerate when we talk with people. Uh, it, that doesn't mean that we shy away from the truths of sin and judgment and hell. That doesn't mean that we just have to water down the gospel. But it does mean that we have to respect people as made in God's image. And think about that as we relate with people. It could also be referring to the fact that we're saved by grace. It's not, not of ourselves, but it's of God. And so some people have interpreted it that way. Um, and then be, uh, seasoned with salt speaks of letting your speech be salty. So when you're talking with your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your family members, how can you make the gospel, um, uh, how can you make it uh, understandable and tasty, as it were, uh, interesting. And uh, for instance, uh, in, in the, during the time of the Reformation, everything was in Latin in the church. They preached in Latin. They read the Bible in Latin. Nobody understood what was going on. So the reformers translated the Bible into vernacular languages so that people can understand the truths of the gospel. For us, how do we communicate the gospel in ways that the culture can understand, in ways that your friends can understand? Uh, many people haven't read the Bible stories of the Old Testament. Maybe you can start by explaining those. 
a lot of times instead of just, uh, when I was with Campus Crusade, I just shared the gospel. And a lot of times uh, we'd have to just take a step back and say, well, first of all, do you even believe in God? And who is God to you? And what do you think about God? And to just start there. You don't just assume that they all believe in one God or that they even believe in God at all. But you start there. And then I like to share the gospel uh, in terms of creation, uh, the fall, redemption, and consummation, which is basically sharing that God created the world good, that there's one God, that he's the creator, he's the ruler of all, and he created all, and we all owe our allegiance to him, and he's a good God, and, and it's, it's good to be under his authority. Uh, but we sin and rebel, we, 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 uh, we're wicked against him, and we broke his law, and we deserve punishment and justice. He's a just judge, and uh, being a just judge, he has to punish us for our sins. But you know what? He's a gracious God. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, at great sacrifice to himself, came here, suffered and died, and was buried and raised from the dead and ascended in heaven. And he will come back someday, and we will all be with him someday forever, in, in, without sin, without even being able to sin. And for, for, if you put your trust in Christ, that could be you. And that's the, that's the grand scenario of salvation, brothers and sisters. And that's the message that we bring to people and pray for them. So just be asking God for wisdom. What does James 1 says? It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously without finding fault. Ask God for wisdom how to share with your brothers and sisters or with your non-Christian neighbors. Also, you can look at maybe taking uh, classes or reading books on evangelism. There's lots of stuff on the internet, podcasts and things like that. Um, do, uh, Christianity Explored is a, is a way we, we've done in Uruguay, uh, sharing the gospel with our neighbors, things like that, starting uh, home groups uh, with non-Christian friends, things like that. So uh, season with salt, brothers and sisters. And then also, finally, that we may know how we ought to answer each person. You remember the Apostle Peter wrote something like that. He said, be ready to give an answer to all that ask for the hope that's within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. So we need to remember that as we go out about sharing the gospel, we need to do it with gentleness and respect, not backing down from the hard truths and from calling people out on their own sin and talking about a holy, just God, but also emphasizing His grace and mercy in Christ, but being, doing it with gentleness and respect so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. So I believe that as we as the church grow in this, as we begin to step out and think, wow, God has actually opened up a great, uh, a great Pandora's box, if you will, uh, infinite resources of a sovereign, all-powerful God that we can come to him in prayer and ask that, that we would see an awakening in our day like we've never seen throughout the history of the world. There's more people living now in the world than there ever have. There's 7.7 billion people in the world. We can pray for a great awakening so that many, many people will come to know Christ. We can pray for a great revival in the church that we would be holy and righteous, not only in, in, in the eyes of God, but in practical uh, walk with Christ. And we can pray for reformation, that the churches would have sound doctrine, and that we would have righteous practice, and that we would uh, have a love for the holiness of God and, uh, and, and, and celebrate and worship Christ, who is the one uh, for whom we are bringing this message. That's why we pray. That's why we open our mouths uh, to share Christ and his work around the world. So let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great privilege and opportunity uh, that we as Christians would take, naturally speaking, because we've been redeemed, we've been united to Christ, that we would naturally desire to pray for and to share the gospel with the lost 
But knowing, too, that we are weak and selfish at many times, uh, or we have, are so busy, Lord, uh, help us to make time to pray and to share the gospel. Help us to be bold. Uh, we need your grace. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom, Lord. Uh, we pray that you'd open a door for the gospel around us in Tucson, around us in Uruguay and Belize and throughout the world. We pray that you'd raise up missionaries even to go out in the world and raise up uh, men, women, and children from this congregation to be witnesses for Christ in all of their uh, various areas of community in which they find themselves, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.